So Lynn Lewis-Smith is something of a godmother to our industry, having led an awful lot of the advocacy movement, and particularly in relation to research, with her work with the UTS, the University of Technology, Sydney's uh, Business School. So Lynn, lovely for you to join us on the iceberg. Thank you for thank you for joining us. Great to catch up with you, James. Uh, Lynn, I want to talk to you first of all about political engagement because. Unless you gain political will, it's very difficult to achieve the particular goals for your organisation. How have you gone about that? Wow. With a lot of lot of hard work and my time, a lot of my time is dedicated to talking to ministers, talking to all levels of government, the bureaucracy and the minister's offices, and right across every portfolio, um, particularly those portfolios where we're trying to attract global meetings understanding what their motives are and their objectives for each of those portfolios. And then you mentioned the UTS research on the Beyond Tourism benefits. That is something that's at the forefront of every conversation that I have with anyone within government is the true value that we can create to drive outcomes for the government and the city. Um, And there's great work being done at the moment to transition our economy from the traditional mining and advanced manufacturing to an innovation ecosystem, if you like. Uh, And that's exciting. Um, That said, there are political cycles and it is a very continuous process of educating and informing um, because ministers come and go, bureaucrats come and go, so you have to have yourself and your whole team with the relationships for the long term. It sounds like you're tapping into the upstream development strategy of a city. Most people traditionally in a post such as yours would be driven by KPIs such as heads on beds, bums on seats. Mm. Are these days over? They are for us. They've been over for quite some time. I think many would know that we went without a convention centre for three years and that really gave us an opportunity to reimagine what our organisation could achieve for the city's growth objectives. And we did that looking at global meetings and how they were going to add or create value, if you like, for the city and what the city was trying to achieve. I mean, there's a really future-focused agenda at the moment when we're, where we're building a second city And that's come from significant population growth. There are 300,000 people that travel from the west to the east every day for the knowledge jobs in our central downtown district. And what we want to do with government and with lots of other players is build a third city, a 30-minute city, where we've got a second international airport um, and where people can live, they can work in high-tech, new-collar jobs, um, they have childcare, education, and everything's within that 30-minute city. What that then does is lets us free up those knowledge jobs in the east and build an innovation and tech corridor, if you like, and really reposition the state. And you might ask, where am I going with all of this? Well, global meetings have a seat at the table because there are industries, high-tech industries being built, and so we need to identify the future of the tech meeting industry and then attract those events that will bring the world leaders to Sydney to discuss and debate um, what we're doing, are we building a smart city of the future the right way Um, and there's also other benefits such as 
foreign direct investment into that infrastructure as well. And you know me, the global talent hub um, champion of the world. Um, as much as we want to skill up our own people, there's a huge agenda for us to attract a lot of global talent. And the you know the famous Greg Clark will say, where talent goes, capital follows. And uh, that's exactly what cities are competing for around the world. I can remember when I was part of the team that launched Intellectual Capitals and you insisted on being the first intellectual capital of a series. Why was that so important? It was changing the conversation or the narrative about business events and the um, optimising the opportunities through the Beyond Tourism benefits. So that was a great positioning for the business events industry and for Sydney in particular. The how do we heighten our business and innovation brand to attract that capital when we're known so well for our beaches and our kangaroos and koalas? Um, so there's a big piece of work to be done there and it's not about a logo and a campaign. It's about changing the narrative of Sydney. And I think we did that under the, you know, the guise of intellectual capitals. And that helps position us for future global meetings. We're taken seriously when we put the business case forward to host these meetings and then understanding the complexities of the International Association and what they're trying to achieve, we can then get some really positive outcomes for local and global communities and that then positions you as an intellectual capital. Lynn, how important is it, do you think, that um, you validate brand pieces like that? And a good example for me was the 2006 International Congress on Obesity. Tell me what happened as a result of that and how you use that to demonstrate your credentials in that field. Obesity is my favourite case study that I give because we hosted the World Congress of Obesity in 2006. There was a great local organising committee um, that, and we centred the business case around our state and our country's issue with obesity, but really importantly, childhood obesity, which was growing at a rapid rate. So there was a, a real focal point to get media and government at all levels. Australia's a commonwealth, so we have three levels of government, but to get everyone focused on this global issue of obesity. That, that worked really well. We got some great PR and we did get government uh, focused on the event when it was in Sydney. The beauty of doing all of that is the outcome many years later. So as a direct result of hosting that event, uh, we have the Charles Perkins Centre at the University of Sydney, which is a multidisciplinary um, research facility uh, on obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes and the like. And it's world class and the government invested, the private sector invested, and we really are tackling um, obesity in our country. And hopefully the information and tools and techniques that were uncovered at that global conference in Sydney have been the delegates have taken that back to their, their own homes and, and done something about it in their own cities as well. Sticking with the, with the uh, medical or the healthcare um, theme, I remember a fantastic book of case studies that you had published again in partnership with Business Event Sydney called The Power of Conferences and there was a great story in there about a serendipitous collision between uh, an American uh, doctor and an Australian professor in relation to the HPV virus that accounts for 40% of the incidence of cervical cancer. 
that was an amazing story. Can you tell me what the outcome of that story was? That is an amazing story. It started, and, and we're talking about the, the publication, The Power of Conferences, that was published in 2017 with the University of Technology Sydney and my very good friends, Deb and Carmel. Um, that's Professor Ian Fraser, who has won numerous um, awards for his work, but it started at a moment in a at a conference in 1982 in Australia where he um, was just networking and met up with a, an international colleague and they started to talk about um, ovarian cancer and the like. And that, to cut the long story short, has led to um, the prevention of um, ovarian cancer with the vaccine and that's been given to young ladies all around the world now. So Australia invented that from that one moment at that one conference. And I always talk about, you know, the that innovation economy where people, organisations and places come together to create ideas and that's what global meetings do. So when you attend a meeting as a delegate, be prepared to uncover all types of things, but the one meeting can lead to a global collaborative project that then leads to innovation, a new product or a service that then leads to you know, exports and investment attraction, jobs and economic prosperity. And I don't think that we understand the power of these global meetings and if we um, optimise the value when they're there in your city... Um, the value you can you can create absolutely but but it, it goes back to that piece with um, Greg Clark and the work that you've been doing in positioning Sydney or New South Wales as an intellectual capital but you're also using them to advance public policy in relation to infrastructure for example or in fintech or attracting startups it's all about creating that ecosystem but layered with a positive brand and you can only do that through effective storytelling. Mm, so how important mm. do you think it is for our industry as a whole to invest more heavily in the storytelling that you have done, for example, in the power of conferences or in research, um, whether it's um, uh, Catalyst for Thriving Economies or um, ICC Sydney's investment in feeding your performance. These are great stories that enable policymakers, politicians to actually understand the true outcome of our industry as opposed to that touristic impact that's mm. been um, slightly oversold. Brand's incredibly important and storytelling, I think, is the most valuable thing that you can do. It's setting your country or your city up with a culture that m many people don't know. And I talked about the depth and texture of Sydney and our business and innovation brand and our tourism brand being strong. If you've got to really bring stories to life that people can relate to and actually apply and think that that is really possible. It's not about a logo. It's not about a campaign. It's not about a still shot. And, you know, a photo can tell a million stories, but people want to hear from people. People trust people um, and they are inspired by people. So I think storytelling is critical. I know I'm, I'm incredibly inspired by many women around the world um, and, and amongst other things, and I think... You know, the power of conferences has done a lot for us in having even people that are 
making decisions on where to host global meetings thinking I, I never knew that came out of a conference and they're the ones that are organising and running not-for-profit associations in the, in the global marketplace. So you can't underestimate the power of stories, but you've got to work hard at getting that story right and putting the right people forward. I mean, you know, we have 100 global ambassadors. Um, they're not just ambassadors sitting in our own backyard. They are all around the world. There are one million Australian alumni working internationally and they all have an amazing story and I aim to tap into that. There's one that I wanted to talk to you about, Chris uh, Boschwizen. Yes. He's a space mission architect. He now, is. What on earth is that all about? Oh, he's a fascinating man and he's, yeah, he's, he's a young man. He's working out of Silicon Valley. I met up with him just recently um, for our Sydney Speaker Series in, in San Fran. He created satellites um, and sent many into space with a smartphone that cost next to nothing when most space stations are trying to put these satellites up, costing millions, multi-millions. And he came up with this great invention, which is still being used today. He's an alumni of the Singularity University, uh, incredibly bright, and, you know, now a multimillionaire himself, I think, and doing a lot to give back to startups and incubators and just his whole life is about innovation. I, I'm fascinated that you are spending so much time outside of Australia in an effort to bring events, people and investment back to Australia. But particularly in relation to AI, um, what is the opportunity for your office in San Francisco to work with the artificial intelligence community um, of Silicon Valley and connect particularly the women and entrepreneurs of Australia? There's two parts I'll take that question. The first is in terms of Silicon Valley, the size and scale and the culture of that, you can't can't duplicate that in any other city. Uh, So Sydney needs to look and be future-focused of what its Silicon Valley is going to look like. And I mentioned the Western um, Sydney aerotropolis, the second airport and the like. There's also been a multiversity or a STEM institute being developed within that area so we can develop our own through the pipeline of science, technology, engineering and and math students to come out into the new-collar worker jobs um, and uh, take up positions in our high-tech industries in that particular area and the tech and innovation precinct. The second part of the question is uh, to do with the study tour I went on to San Francisco and Silicon Valley with 35 women in tech um, leading uh, big organisations in technology and innovation and it was an amazing week that we spent in San Francisco and Silicon Valley are just listening to a diverse group of multinationals, everything from culture to cybersecurity. AI was one of the machine learning. Um, we also talked about, as you mentioned, um, diversity. But there's not many women entrepreneurs. I mean, you look around Silicon Valley and predominantly it's 80% male. You know, 80% of women have the buying power of most goods and services in this world, yet we don't have women with a seat at the table developing these platforms. It's a low percentage. So having these women on this tour with me opened their eyes to the problem is global 
we're doing a white paper at the moment and I think what will happen is Australia will reach out to the women in Silicon Valley and see what they can learn and collaborate on and, and really raise the voice and try to get some action. Um, but it is grassroots. We don't have enough women coming through the talent pipeline and whether that's um, grassroots in our schools, we need to do more, governments need to do more there. We need to do more around industry working with universities to fast track our talent. There's a global talent attraction piece, which I believe that we can play a role in in bringing the big AI meetings where we can have the data scientists and the um, the analysts, uh, the engineers in Sydney to showcase what we're all about and hopefully they'll come and, and live and work. Um, but the big thing that I think is because AI and technology is moving at such a rapid rate, there are a lot of people that are going to be out of work. A lot of 50-plus people um, will be displaced and we're not sure where they're going to go. So what are we doing in terms of a futures academy to reskill and rehome these people? So these were all the things that really came out of that great study tour with 35 amazing women. And we'll do the white paper and see if we can get some action on a few things. There was a great piece from the Beyond Tourism Benefits which illustrated the number of people that came back to live and work in Sydney as a result of attending a con congress or a conference in your city. Which one was that? Uh, that was the catalyst um, for conferences, um, thriving economies. This is a great number that gives you the evidence to go to government and the private sector to say, let's do something about this. Don't stop you know, crying that we haven't got the talent. We actually have. So we surveyed 1,000 delegates over a 12-month period across five different industries. And out of those 1,000 delegates, international delegates in Sydney, 41% said they wanted to come live, work and, or study in Sydney and 7% had actually applied. So I went to um, a very small group of the public and private sector and said, we've just had 300,000 international delegates in Sydney in the last five years, and we have done nothing about attracting talent. We have 500,000 secured for the next five to 10 years. Let's do something about it. And so... There's a plan. Um, we have a policy piece in the trade and investment uh, strategy of government about these types of meetings and how we're going to work together to attract them, but more importantly, optimise the opportunity when they're here. Music to Greg Clark's ears, I'm sure, because as he quite rightly says, you know, if you attract the talent, the capital will follow. And there's your jobs and there's your knowledge economy of the future um, on your doorstep. Lynn, it's been inspiring as I always expected it to be um, it would be a shame not to leave with a little bit of culture um, and uh, it's our intention to conclude these interviews um, with a little bit of music so I'd just like you to tell me what's your favorite piece of music wow <laughs> that's taking it in a whole different direction from any genre um gosh my husband's a drummer and so I, I certainly love his music, but I'm a pop rock indie girl. I grew up um, listening to Stone Roses in the 80s and their first album, Adored, was absolutely to this day, love it, still listen to it. Um, many other bands that I listen to, um, 
But if there's one track, I'm going to pin you down to one track. What is it? I want to be adored by the Stone Roses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Linda Smith, thank you very much. Thanks, James. Cheers. Cheers.